there's going to be cases when we learn something from, when you read something in the Quran, the Sunnah, that it's going to create a confusion in our mind. What does that mean? How do I apply that? What about in this particular scenario? How does that apply? That, yes, you get that. So what I do is I will go and try to find out from the more deeper books for the more profound books. So yeah, those kind of things happen. But it will never make me think like, hey, could this be that the Quran is wrong? You know, when you see a verse and it doesn't make sense to you straight away, should my approach be, hey, that means the Quran might be wrong. That doesn't happen, alhamdulillah. Okay, in a hadith, I'll say, okay, maybe this hadith is da'if or maybe it could be fabricated if I don't know which source is coming from. That approach I do take because I know the boundary so I can think that. But for somebody to keep saying, every time they get a bit of a confusion about a verse, then, oh, that shook my faith. Man, come on, what kind of a faith do you have? It's so weak that it keeps shaking. These hadith and Quranic verses, they're supposed to make you think. They're supposed to make you think and maybe sometimes be confused because that's how you're going to find out the truth. Because remember, every bit of information we have is not from the Quran Sunnah, unfortunately. Right? We get a lot of other information, so we're not going to reflect the Quranic message to what we already know. It's going to, there's going to be some give and take with that. We're going to have to try to understand. So it makes the deen shake. That's what it is. That's not the approach to the deen. The approach to the deen should be whatever the Quran says is true. I may not understand it. I have to find out. That just means that I need to find out. It doesn't mean my faith is shaking. No. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillahi hamdan kathiran tayyiban mubarakan fi mubarakan alayhi kama yuhibbu rabbuna wa yarda jalla jalaluhu wa amma nawaluhu wa salatu wa salamu ala sayyidil habibil mustafa sallallahu ta'ala alayhi wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa baraka wa sallama tasliman kathiran ila yawmiddin amma ba'd To continue with our coverage of the Risalatul Mustarshideen of Harith al-Muhasibi uh, he gave a number of advices regarding tawakkul on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and a number of other advices in our last session. Based on this, there's a hadith that is related by Imam Bukhari. Amr ibn Maymun says that Umar ibn al-Khattab radiallahu anhu, um, when Umar ibn al-Khattab radiallahu anhu was stabbed during the Fajr prayer, which eventually led to his martyrdom. He was stabbed by Abu Lu'lu, Abu Lu'lu al-Majusi. He was a Magian. And everybody recognized that this was going to be terminal. This was going to be a fatal blow. So Umar radiallahu anhu is about to pass away. So the narrator, Amr ibn Maybun, says that we went to visit him, Umar radiallahu anhu. We went to visit Umar radiallahu anhu. And people came and they were saying, they were praising him and they were saying good things about him because at death you're supposed to give people hope because that shaitan comes at a time when somebody's about to die. Shaitan comes and tries to cause a lot of despondency and hopelessness during that time to then make them feel that there's no rahmah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for them. And that's a really bad idea. So it's a good idea to give people hope. If they've done the tawbah and if they've done the repentance, then it's to give them hope. 
So people are coming and so then a young man came. A young man came and he said, Abshir ya Amir al-Mu'mineen, bi bushra Allahi lak. Accept the glad tidings, O leader of the faithful, by Allah's glad tidings for you. So I'm repeating Allah's glad tidings for you. Allah has given you glad tidings, so you need to accept them. And then he said his words and then he was turning away. إِذَا إِزَارُهُ يَمَسُّ الْأَرْضِ His trousers were touching the ground. They were dangling. So Umar radiallahu anhu said, quickly, call him back. رُدُّوا عَلَيَّ الْغُلَامِ So somebody said, brought him back. and He said, my nephew, يَبْنَ أَخِي My nephew is an affectionate way of speaking. He said, اِرْفَعْ ثَوْبَكْ Raise your garment because it's cleaner for your garment to start with. That's a physical aspect of it. But it's also actually atqali rabbik. So it's cleaner for your garment, no doubt. And it's also atqali rabbik. It's also more God-fearing towards your Lord. So you're expressing more consciousness of your Lord. This is really uh, Sheikh Abdul Fattah Abu Ghudda, who's the editor of this book. He brings this hadith and he says that, Look at Umar radiallahu anhu, he's in his last moments. And he's still doing Amr bil ma'roof and nahi anil munkar. Because one of the advices that was given by Harith al-Muhasibi was that you need to continue to try to make corrections and to try to stop people from doing wrong, try to advise as much as possible. So he had said, Kun bil haqqi amilan wa billahi wathiqan wa bil ma'roofi amiran you're going to try to practice the truth and the good yourself. Always remain holding on to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the sense that always rely on Him. And then always command the truth and uh, prohibit the wrong. So this is saying that Umar is on his deathbed. Everybody knows he's going to die because it's a fatal wound. And there's a lot of other things that he could have focused on at that time. But he decides that he wants to do this because there's a virtue in doing so. There's a virtue in telling people good things. There's an absolute virtue in that. And I think this is one area where many of us are lacking. It's a, it's a major lack, unfortunately. So he advises him on something which is practical and clean and also what is God conscious. So he has both the person's worldly welfare and benefit in mind and also the, the benefit of the akhirah in mind as well. Right, the next set of advices that Imam Haris al-Muhasibi gives is the following. He says, وَحْذَرْ أَن تَدِينَ لِلَّهِ بِالْعَقْلِ وَتَعْمَلَ بِالْهَوَىٰ وَتَتْرُكَ الْحَقَّ وَتَبُوءَ بِالْبَاطِلِ وَتَتَمَنَّ الْمَغْفِرَةِ وَأَنْتَ نَاسٍ لِلْتَوْبَةِ So that's the next cluster of advices. He says, refrain from, be aware, beware of just becoming religious or following the deen, adopting the deen, tadina lillah, adopting the deen just by your intellect. That's a really interesting statement. You need intellect. I mean, every alim, every scholar will tell you that you need intellect. And intellect is necessary to understand the commandments of Allah. Otherwise, how do you understand the commands of Allah if you don't have intellect? You need aql to understand something with. But then he's saying that don't be obedient, don't be a follower of your deen, uh, don't just become a religious person just based on intellect. Now this could be translated in a number of ways. 
Shaykh Abdul Fattah Abu Ghudda gives us some different possibilities here. He says, احذر أن يكون إيمانك بالله تعالى وتدينك له عقلانيا Your obedience to Allah, devotion to Allah should not just be aqlani, should just not be intellectual. What does that mean? Meaning, لا يتعدى إلا إلى تنفيذ ما قبله عقلك من أوامره ونواهيه very, very important point. He says that it shouldn't be such your approach to your deen and religion should not be such that you only end up applying and implementing whatever your, you rationally accept, whatever makes sense to you from the commands of Allah and prohibitions. Oh, that makes sense. I'm going to do this. That one doesn't make sense. It's not the law of the land. Even there you get in trouble if you don't follow it. But there sometimes what people do is sometimes people just completely abandon it. But other people, they say, we're going to follow the spirit of the law. We're not going to follow the letter of the law. When it comes to Allah's laws, same thing. That doesn't make sense to me, so I'm not going to do it. That's not criteria. The criteria is not whether something makes sense or not. You look at any of the uh, books of all the jurists, Quran, etc. None of them say that that's what you're supposed to do. Uh, religion is a, a bigger idea. Religion is not an academic pursuit. It's not just the basic science of some sort where you're trying to get to a certain conclusion uh, based on certain repetitive acts or something of that nature. Deen and religion is totalizing. This makes sense, that doesn't make sense. Because as I said, the deen is another idea. The deen is totalizing. It wants everything from us. It wants us to think like the deen. It's not like I've got my own way of thinking and if the deen makes sense, then khalas, I'll accept that part. This part doesn't make sense, that's not... Not going to accept it. That's why there's some people have asked me a question like, has there ever been any issue of the faith that's troubled you? So I asked like, what do you mean by trouble me? Sometimes we get questions. They say that, oh, this has happened in my life and uh, it's shaken my faith. I said, why does your faith shake? My faith has never shook. Alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah. My faith has never shook. That doesn't mean I've not had questions about things. That doesn't mean that, you know, in all the hadiths that we read, the Quranic verses, you know, the more you're exposed to, there's going to raise questions because, and, I mean, we've been taught, we, we learn from different environments, we learn from different sources. We learn from, we're, we're reading the media, we hate the media, we still listen to the media, you know, we listen to the radio, we listen to other people, we see things, so there's constant uh, influx of information in our mind. And every bit of information that we take affects us in some way or the other. There's no doubt about it. It affects us in some way or the other, whether emotionally, academically, spiritually. Uh, in some way or the other, it's going to affect us. Now when we read the Qur'an, we're not just reading Qur'an all day. We've not, been, we've not grown up and lived just reading Qur'an and Sunnah. We're not, you know, I mean, maybe it was easier for the Sahaba. You know, maybe it was easier because they were living the life of the Qur'an with the Prophet ﷺ in their midst. So it was probably easier for them. But for us, it's that, that's something we do every now and then. You know, maybe some people, you know, we get to teach it. If you're a teacher of the deen, you get to teach it a few hours of the day, several hours a day if you're lucky. Otherwise, how much, how much new uh, material do you learn of the deen on a week, you know, on a weekly basis? How much, how much do you do? You know, so for a lot of people, if they're lucky, they get a Jummah lecture. So that is a competition 
or there's so much competition to that of everything else they're constantly learning constantly taking in so there's going to be cases when we learn something from when you read something in the Quran or the Sunnah that it's going to create a confusion in our mind what does that mean how do I apply that what about in this particular scenario how does that apply that yes you get that so what I do is I will go and try to find out from the more deeper books for the more profound books so yeah those kind of things happen but it will never make me think like hey, could this be that the Quran is wrong you know when you see a verse and it doesn't make sense to you straight away should my approach be hey that means the Quran might be wrong that doesn't happen, alhamdulillah. Or when I read a hadith, okay, in a hadith I'll say, okay, maybe this hadith is da'if or maybe it could be fabricated if I don't know which source is coming from. That approach I do take. Because I know the boundary, so I can think that. But for somebody to keep saying, every time they get a bit of a confusion about a verse, then, oh, that shook my faith. Man, come on, what kind of a faith do you have? It's so weak that it keeps shaking. These hadith and Quranic verses, they're supposed to make you think. They're supposed to make you think and maybe sometimes be confused because that's how you're going to find out the truth because remember every bit of information we have is not from the Quran Sunnah unfortunately right we get a lot of other information so we're not going to reflect the Quranic message to what we already know it's gonna there's gonna be some give and take with that we're gonna have to try to understand so it makes the deen shake. That's what it is. That's not the approach to the deen. The approach to the deen should be whatever the Quran says is true. I may not understand it. I have to find out. That just means that I need to find out. It doesn't mean my faith is shaking. No. Big, big scholars of the past, uh, subhanallah, they have written in their books. They've gone from this world. They've still written in their books that this is an issue about a certain religious issue that I've not found a satisfactory answer. I'm still looking, but this is what I propose for the time being. If you read Imam Alusi, the great Mufassir of Baghdad, I mean, you see that in his book. He says, this is something that I've not found anybody to uh, quench the thirst and to satiate the, you know, the, the stomach. And these are terms they use. I've not found it satisfactory yet, but this is what I propose. Tentatively, he proposes and what he says actually makes a lot of sense. So that's the approach. The scholars as well, those who knew so much more than us. Even they had questions. The Sahaba had questions. So you can have questions. That's got nothing to do with your faith shaking. Because our faith is non-negotiable. We believe. I might get something wrong. I might make a mistake. I might not know something. That's fine. But I, I can't say my faith has shook because of that. What kind of a faith is that if it keeps shaking? Every day, your foundation is wrong because if there's a building that keeps shaking, it means the foundation is wrong. The foundation is not solid. Solidify the foundation, then there's always going to be some kind of renovation work to take place, some kind of fixing work, some kind of uh, something leaking, something here or there. You have to fix it. That's just that's normal. So that's one thing he says. Um, he, he says that don't make it such that you only take what kind of makes sense to you and there's a lot of people that do that uh, a friend of mine he his father finally went for hajj and when he gets to hajj he does everything he does he goes all the way for hajj mashallah and he does everything but then he refuses to cut his hair which is a requirement in hajj to come out of ihram to cut your hair 
He refuses to do so. He says, Allah knows what's in my heart. That's just a symbolic gesture. Well, the whole thing was a symbolic gesture. What did you get out of going around seven times around the Kaaba? Did you get anything out of that? If that's not symbolism in your mind, what is it then? Why would you go seven times around and not cut your hair? Like, what's the difference between those two things? Oh, that includes a bit of exercise. But, so at least there's a benefit there. I'm, speak, I'm just wondering, you know, this is not my opinion. Um, but cutting the hair is going to spoil my hairstyle. Can you see? I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't want to say that's what they thought, but what, why else would you say that? Why did you go and sleep on the floor in Muzdalifah? Okay, I can take that as camping. That was a nice experience. Right, but cut my hair. No, that's a no-go area. Only my barber can cut my hair in a particular style. Subhanallah. See, that's what I call aqli way of approaching the deen. And while we may be tempted to do that sometimes, because it's easier, isn't it? I mean, when people become like that with their laws and things like that, you know, there's certain countries they're known for having... You go to Singapore, there's supposed to be all robots down there, just following the law. Right, they all follow the law, they queue up very well and all the rest of it. And I've talked to some Singaporeans and they don't, some of them don't like that either. And in some places, it's just constant anarchy. Nothing works. There's just everything you have to pay money for to get anything done. Right? Bribery and corruption and it's who you know. Subhanallah, you know? The deen is not like that. It's not what it's supposed to be like. The deen is not like some kind of society with anarchy that you can do what you like. Just because you've got contacts or you've got a lot of money or you've got a position. That's not what the deen is about. The deen is totalizing. We're supposed to submit because that's what Islam means. It means to completely submit. So the idea is that the hadith makes it very clear that you can't be full believers until your desires become in conformance to with what I have brought. When you know the hadith, then that's, that for me is what it is. That if I do have a question, I think of this hadith and I think, well, I'm supposed to conform. Now, I know it might be difficult. You know, there are issues that you find difficult in conforming to. Definitely. But you try your best. Saddidu wa qaribu. That's our deen. Allah is forgiving when you try your best. He knows we're weak. So, He will forgive inshaAllah as long as we're doing our best. Our, it's the emotion needs to be right. So He says, فَالْأَقْلُ تَبْعٌ لِلشَّرْءِ الصَّحِيهِ لَا عَكْسُهُ the intelligence and a person's intellect and rational faculty needs to be in conformance to the sharia, to the sound sharia, not the opposite way. Whether you understand it or not, there are some, there, there are some ahkam I don't understand. But we do them because Allah said so and they're, they're established. There's no weakness in where they're established from, so Allah knows best. There's some things that I never got. Then 20 years later, it started making some sense. 20 years later, 30 years later, some things maybe 40 years later, they, oh wow, that clicked. Oh, that's why we do this. I just couldn't get it. Nobody told me. Maybe I didn't pursue it. Even if I did pursue it, I didn't find the right answer. Sometimes things are just clothed in some kind of vagueness for whatever reason. Um, you can't make everything an academic pursuit and a PhD and like, go to, you don't have the time for that. But eventually, alhamdulillah, it makes sense. So, you should, 
just do your best. That's what it is. When you can't do something, you say, Allah, give me the ability to do it. That's the way. There's a hadith in Sahih Muslim, and I believe it's in Sahih al-Bukhari as well, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed, it's at the end of Surah Al-Baqarah, Allah says, لِلَّهِ مَا فِي السَّمَاوَاتِ وَمَا فِي الْأَرْضِ وَإِن تُبْدُوا مَا فِي أَنفُسِكُمْ أَوْ تُخْفُوهُ يُحَاسِبْكُمْ بِهِ اللَّهِ فَيَغْفِرُ لِمَنْ يَشَاءُ وَيُعَدِّهُ مَنْ يَشَاءُ وَاللَّهُ عَلَى كُلِّ شَيْءٍ قَدِيرٌ Oh, the Sahaba, they thought, that's it. We can't deal with this. We've been doing our best, Salat, Zakat, Hajj, to the best of our ability, whatever worships were there until then. We've been doing the best of our ability. Okay, you know, we may be weak, but we've been doing the best we can. But this verse is saying that لِلَّهِ مَا فِي السَّمَاوَاتِ وَمَا فِي اللَّهِ For Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is everything in the heavens and the earth. Whatever you reveal, whatever you say outwardly or do outwardly, you're going to be accountable for that. وَإِن تُخْفُوهُ And whatever you keep internally, even thoughts that are in your mind, you're also going to be questioned about that. Meaning, you're also going to be reckoned for that. They said, that's something. We're dead now. There's no way of... We can't win this exam. Because everything else, we're doing our best. But when it comes to this, we get thoughts in our mind. People get thoughts all day long. Right? If we're going to be accountable for that, there's no way we're going to succeed. And they wanted to succeed. It's not like, oh, it's all right, we'll see. Right? God is forgiving, whatever. No, they really wanted to do the best. So they came to the Prophet and said that, how are we going to do this? So the Prophet ﷺ, he said, do you want to be like the people who were before you where they heard the law that came from Allah and said, Sami'na wa'asayna. We've heard, but we're not going to do it. We don't have to do it. We don't have to do it. No. Sami'na, and we've disobeyed basically. Rather say, Kulu, Sami'na wa'ata'na, ghufranaka rabbana wa ilayk al masir. I find this a really, really pertinent narration. You know, I, I personally just find it extremely pertinent. Instead, just say, we've heard and we obey. Forgive us our Lord and to you is our return. So acknowledging that, look, we're going to do our best to obey, but we couldn't make mistakes or so forgive us. Say that. Allah can say whatever he wants to you and order you to do whatever you want. Your job is just to say, سَمِعْنَا وَأَطَعْنَا غُفْرَانَكَ رَبَّنَا وَإِلَيْكِ الْمَصِيرِ Anytime you... So what I take from this hadith is that anytime you confront something that is difficult in your deen and you're finding it difficult, just say, سَمِعْنَا وَأَطَعْنَا غُفْرَانَكَ رَبَّنَا وَإِلَيْكِ الْمَصِيرِ We've heard, we have obeyed. Forgive us. Ya, our Lord, forgive us. Our Lord, forgive us. And to you is all our return anyway. We're not getting away, but forgive us. We're going to try our best. So it's essentially saying, we're going to try our best, but forgive us if we make a mistake. Amazing. It says that, When the people said this with their, you know, they, they didn't, they, they just, in submission, they just said it. They said, okay, we're going to say that. Subhanallah. When they said it, the rest of the verses, which are the famous ending verses of Surah Al-Baqarah, آمَنَ الرَّسُولُ بِمَا أُنزِلَ إِلَيْهِ مِنْ رَبِّهِ وَالْمُؤْمِنُونَ كُلٌّ آمَنَ بِاللَّهِ وَمَنْ And it carries on. And then it says, لَا يُكَلِّفُ اللَّهُ نَفْسًا إِلَّا وَسْعَهَا Allah will never burden somebody for what they cannot have the ability for. Burden somebody beyond their ability. Allah will never do that. Subhanallah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala cancelled out that initial 
reckoning of even what's in your mind by saying that no, that's not. And then Allah taught a number of du'as there. Rabbana la tahmil alayna isran kama hamiltahu ala ladina min kablina. Rabbana la tuhamilna ma la taqatalana bih. And they were in submission. What a beautiful narration. It tells us how to deal with matters today. If you can't do something understandable, it's possible. But just try to submit and do your best and ask for forgiveness. Inshallah, Allah will give you that. We'll do it the next day. That was so beloved to Allah that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala brought the next verses in there. And she read those last verses of Surah Al-Baqarah. So that's how we're supposed to do this. But this is a major issue today. Reason is that we are living in a, you know, we've been living in a century of science and empiricism and rationality. Uh, Europe and the rest of the world has done away with witchcraft, has done away with uh, superstitions. Superstitions were abound. There were the famous witch hunts of the 16th and 17th century when there was constant famine and war and pestilence and all of these things and people just always said that it's due to this and it's due to that and they felt that there were spells that were taking place they've done away with all of that stuff a lot of the superstition but they also done away with religion so anything to do with the devil and shaitan and anything to do with God even that's just gone I mean there's some people who have a token understanding or appreciation of God in their life but other than that there's no following of the deen it's all about rationality you know, you've you got, you got policy makers that say they're Christian, but there's nothing Christian about their, about their approach, about the laws that they agree to and the laws that they pass and the bills that they put into parliament and other places. It's just nothing to do with it. It's just total separation. It's just like God is a little private thing that you can have. If you want to do that, that's up to you. But that's not how Islam wants to do things. God is supposed to be the unifying factor. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is... The one that brings everybody together to put everybody on the, uh, in harmony when it's done right. So that's why we're supposed to say, okay, we're going to do our best. That's a new law, alhamdulillah, we're going to do our best. I've seen those people are a lot more calmer. They're doing wrong and they say, look, I can't do this. I know it's right. I know I should be doing it. I can't do it. Right? May Allah forgive me. I, I've just seen, it's just so humble, that approach. Compared to somebody like, no man, there's two opinions about this. So and so said this, I found it online that it's, there's another view. That's just a strict view, man. You guys are too strict. How can you live a life? You, you know, you guys need to chill out a bit. You guys need to relax a bit. You need to have some, you know, be able to have some fun. You can't always be uptight as though following the deen is being uptight. As though religious people never have fun. So this is all a delusion, I think. Just misunderstanding, not understanding how it really works. That's what he says. So that's what he says first. He says, Pretty much that's what he says next. He says that what you're going to, the reason, what is going to be intellectual? Because there may be some people who are like very academic. They actually don't care about their nafs as such. It's just very academic. I want to go by evidence. There's a few people like that. So I can understand, there's still a wrong approach, I think, because the deen is, has emotion as well. The deen is about devotion to Allah and absolute submission, whether you understand or not. And there's a number of verses that tell us that. So it's not, that's not what religion is, to just be perfectly academic. But a lot of people who will make this as an excuse to get away will actually be doing it because of their nafs. وَتَعْمَلَ بِالْهَوَى Right? وَتَعْمَلَ بِالْهَوَى That they will be actually doing it because it's just easier. That's too difficult. 
it just doesn't fit in with their social surrounding. It doesn't fit in their family maybe. It doesn't fit in their friends. They, they don't want to make a change. They just want to fit right in and carry on and basically have their cake and eat it. I mean, I don't see a problem with having your cake and eating in the real world, but they use this as, an, as, an, as a parable. I don't understand why. Have your cake and eat it. Well, what's wrong with eating a cake if it's, it's okay? Right. Side point. Then he says, But you're abandoning the truth in this regard. And you're just returning with falsehood. Meaning, what you're going to be returning with, you return home. Right? Meaning, what you're coming back with or what you're going to go to Allah with is just complete falsehood. It's not the right way to do things. But all at the same time, you still think you have a bit of religion, right? So, you are hoping for forgiveness. You're hoping for forgiveness. Subhanallah, what a statement that is. He said, you hope for forgiveness, but you are forgetting to repent. And repenting is not just simply hoping for forgiveness. Otherwise, that's wishful thinking. I'm going to be forgiven. Allah is ghafoor. Allah is raheem. He needs some people to forgive. If, not, if we're all fine, right? If we're all fine, then who is he going to forgive? Allah is rahman, raheem. He needs to manifest that. Sorry, Allah is ghafoor. He needs to manifest that on somebody as well. If you're all doing right, then I need to at least maybe do a bit wrong so he can be ghafoor to me. Otherwise, how is Allah going to manifest his characteristic of being forgiving? Like if you guys, are, if we're all good, then how is he going to forgive? These are some of the excuses people come up with. This is some really weird philosophizing. That's what people do. Some really weird philosophizing. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us absolute submission. Make us truly Muslims. True submissions. True submission by increasing the iman in our hearts. The belief that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's love takes over us to such a degree that even when we know that we've got impediments in our in our obedience to him in following every law of his and there's certain things that we have become habituated to or that we can't get away from easily we still want to worship him and we ask Allah for forgiveness we know we're doing wrong it's a much better way than to actually do wrong and justify it may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us of those people who can eventually eradicate all wrongs from their life and become close to him and thus he loves to meet us and we love to meet him. Wa akhiru da'wana and alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Allahumma anta salam wa anka salam. Tabarakti adil jilali wa ikram. Allahumma ya hayu ya qiyum. Rahmatika nastaghith. Allahumma ya hannan ya mannan. La ilaha illa anta subhanaka inna kunna min al-zalimin. Jazallahu anna muhammadan maahu ahluhu. Allahumma salli wa sallim. على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم يا الله have mercy upon our congregation upon the Muslim world يا الله forgive us grant us forgiveness grant us your mercy grant us your generosity grant us your maghfira oh Allah we ask to forgive us all the wrongs that we do all the wrongs that we think about all the wrong approaches that we take oh Allah correct our misunderstandings correct the wrong approaches that we may have. O oh Allah, solidify our faith. O oh Allah, make firm our faith. Make firm our faith. O oh Allah, protect us. O oh Allah, protect humanity. O oh Allah, do good for humanity. Bring back the insaniyat in the insan. Ya Allah, reconcile us with those that we are supposed to be with. O oh Allah, grant us 
Grant us harmony, O oh Allah. Forgive us the sins that have destroyed us. Forgive us the sins that have destroyed our relationships, that have destroyed the blessings in our homes and taken it away from us, that have brought darknesses. O oh Allah, mend our relationships. O oh Allah, mend and grant us harmony. O oh Allah, grant us strength together. O oh Allah, O oh Allah, remove the conflicts that we may have with one another. O oh Allah, we ask you for peace and tranquility. We ask you for contentment, sukoon and satisfaction. O oh Allah, we ask you for beneficial knowledge and accepted deeds and ex accepted actions. O oh Allah, bless all of these scholars whom we benefit from, whose books we benefit from, whose lectures we benefit from. O oh Allah, we ask that you grant us a life that's full of goodness, full of enjoyment, full of obedience. Make your obedience beloved in our hearts. O oh Allah, make your disobedience hated in our hearts. O oh Allah, O oh Allah, we ask you to protect us, our children, our progenies until the day of judgment. Make our progenies the contentment of our eyes and the joy of our eyes, both in this world and the next. O oh Allah, allow our families to prosper. Allow us to be at the head of a household and of a progeny of God-fearing individuals. O oh Allah, make our worldly things easy for us. Bless us during this time and allow us to reach Ramadan and make this Ramadan better than any Ramadan before it. O oh Allah, accept our du'as. O oh Allah, cure the sick, cure the ill. Remove this pandemic from us. O oh Allah, O oh Allah, grant us blessing in our time and accept us for some service of your deen. Subhana rabbika rabbil izzati amma yasifoon wa salamun ala al-mursaleen wa alhamdulillahi rabbil alamin. The point of a lecture is to encourage people to act, to get further, an inspiration, an encouragement, persuasion. The next step is to actually start learning seriously to read books, to take on a subject of Islam and to understand all the subjects of Islam, at least at their basic level, so that we can become more aware of what our deen wants from us. Uh, and that's why we started uh, Rayyan courses, so that uh, you can actually take organized lectures uh, on demand whenever you have free time, especially, for example, the Islamic Essentials uh, course that we have on there, the Islamic Essentials Certificate, which you take 20 short modules and at the end of that, inshallah, you will have gotten the, the basics of uh, most of the most important topics in Islam, and you'll feel a lot more confident. You don't have to leave lectures behind. You can continue to, leave, uh, you know, to listen to lectures, but you need to have this more sustained study as well. Jazakallah khairan. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.